I am indeed Andy Wells, and um, we gave a little bit more of my history last Sunday, so we're not going to go through all that again today. If you weren't here last Sunday, just ask somebody after the service, who was that masked man, and uh, see if they remember anything to fill you in. Uh, but my wife and I are retired. I'm a, a pastor. I was in the PCUS, then the PCUSA, and then the EPC. And we live outside of Black Mountain, North Carolina. I continue to be impressed with this church. Uh, foremost this morning that some of you who were here last week have come back. Now that's very encouraging, I have to say. But more than that, uh, that you would support a ministry like Young Life says a whole lot about your priorities and where you want to put your money and your energy uh, in this world of witness. And Young Life has been changing the lives of teenagers for several generations. Uh, I was involved with uh, many graduates from Young Life when they would come into InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on the college campuses where I worked as a staff member for a couple of years at Georgia Tech. And I want to encourage you in that ministry with Young Life. And if I remember correctly, the wildlife is spelled W-Y-L-D, which is even more descriptive of working with middle schoolers as far as I'm concerned. It is a wild thing uh, and a wonderful gift for those who are able to do it. Uh, it's good to be back with you. And uh, I brought a couple of extra members uh, to come with me of my family. These are my two granddaughters, and I'm just going to introduce them quickly. Emma is back with Carolyn. Emma, would you stand up, please, on the pew? Get up a little bit higher. There she is. And this is Mary Ellen on the front pew. Stand up, Mary Ellen. Thank you. You can sit down. But they are a wonderful encouragement to us, and part of the reason why Carolyn and I decided to take an early retirement from active pastoral ministry we felt convicted that there was a great need to pass the gospel on to the next generation and the one after that. So all three of our daughters are married to Christian men. All are active in their churches. We thank God for that. We want to make sure our grandchildren know Christ as well and that they know what their mom and dad are teaching them of the very same things that grandmommy and I believe as well about Jesus Christ and his saving work on our behalf. So uh, if you get a chance, you might want to get to meet them after the service. They are not shy. I promise you that. Uh, and that's another way I think they'll fit in with this church from what I've seen of your children when they come in after the message. Uh, also, I have a, a book. I don't do this every time, but last week I, I told you about Rod Dreher's book, uh, The Benedict Option, which I highly recommend. This one is a much older book. It's written by a man named Andrew Murray. He lived toward the end of the 19th century, the 1800s, and it's called Humility and Absolute Surrender. It's obviously a rather thin volume. Uh, it must be read slowly, and I think you will find that there will be a great deal of conviction as well as uh, encouragement in reading what he has to say about the Christian life in the area of humility and surrender to the Lord. Now, I'm aware that last week I started off in a little bit of an unorthodox way, and I was maybe a little rude to some of you by saying that, that you were weird, and then I kind of identified what that was and reminded you that I was weird too, uh, so I'm going to make it up to you this morning, and I'm going to start out this message uh, by telling you something you really don't want to hear. I can almost guarantee that for everybody here. 
But before I do that, I want to read this scripture. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, and it goes all the way to uh, chapter 3, verse 7. This is the word of God. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers." As I said, this is the Word of God, and let's come together in prayer as we begin to look at this passage. Lord, you have been calling men and women and children to yourself from the very first. 
and how we thank you that you have allowed us to live in this land where we can freely worship you and where we have your word readily available to any who would want to read or hear it. We thank you for preserving your truth throughout the ages and ask now that you will apply it to our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I realized I was going to be here just for four Sundays, I had a series that came to mind and realized these are some passages that I can really just jump into and then leave town. Because sometimes in these particular passages, whether it's on slavery or with husbands and wives, people tend to get a little upset. But there is an overarching teaching in the verses that I read you where the comments about slaves and masters, the comments about husbands and wives are really just illustrations of the point that Peter is trying to make. So, here is what you really don't want to hear. Submit to authority. Am I right? I think so. Go ahead. Submit. It's not what we naturally want to do. It really is a matter of our human nature. Even as believers in Christ who've been given a new heart, we still have an old nature that struggles with a lot of things, and particularly in our culture in the 21st century in the United States, this is a difficult issue. It is a conflict about power and control. And if we hear the word submit, we tend to think we're going to be taken advantage of, we're going to think that we are not going to be in control of anything. We're going to be convinced that we don't have the power that we think we have because we must submit. And our old nature does not like that. You can read through the entire scriptures, Old and New Testaments. You see that coming out over and over again in men and women and children. Submission is not something that naturally comes. It's right up there with patience. None of us are born with it. It's not something that just comes out spontaneously. It is something that must be deliberately chosen, and it can only come with the aid of the power of God. And the most important question that we've got to ask ourselves once we hear this command, submit, who are we supposed to submit to? That's important. It's not that we're submit to anybody who just comes up and says, do this, do that. I'm telling you, this is what. No, there is a very explicit description of who you and I are to submit ourselves to. And the very first part of that authority is submission to Jesus Christ. Peter says it right there in verse 11, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That's where it all begins. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is loving, that is trusting, that is obedient, that is growing, the rest of it's not going to follow. We may think we need to do it. We may know that's what we ought to be doing. But if we are not willing to submit ourselves completely and wholly to Jesus Christ and his authority, we are not going to be able to submit ourselves genuinely to anybody else. And that's why this book came to my mind. 
Humility and absolute surrender. It's humbling to submit yourself. It's difficult to absolutely surrender yourself to God and say, Lord, here I am. Use me how you want to. A dangerous prayer. He will answer that. He may take you places that are uncomfortable, out of your comfort zone, but it's where you need to be. It's where you'll want to be as you continue your walk with Christ. And after we establish that fact, our submission, first of all, is to be to Christ, to Him of all. Then we find in God's Word, by the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, we're to submit to every authority of man. That means we're to submit to government officials, whether we like them or not, whether we agree with them or not. There is to be that attitude within the Christian community. We are to submit to our employers. We don't have slavery anymore, thank God, at least not in the form that it took in the early years of our country. Unfortunately, there is a lot of other types of slavery, depending on how you define it, that is taking place in our own nation. I won't get off on that. But the whole concept is there is somebody who is over you. They might not own you, but they are your employer. They are the person who's put in authority over you and doing your job. You must answer to somebody else, no matter what you're doing, whether it's a board of directors or trustees or a boss. And Scripture tells us we are to submit to their authority. And in the family, God has established an authority structure. I'm going to get into that a little bit more as we get further into the message. But there is a structure there for authority as well and a place for submission, but it is not what you think. Do not let fiction, do not let Hollywood, do not let other people define for you the abuses of a beautiful teaching that's in Scripture in terms of the relationship of husband and wife and, of course, children. So that's who we are to submit to, beginning with Christ, then the authorities that are over man, all the way down to our family situations. Now, it's difficult when we read passages like this, we know that Paul and Peter and the apostles and Jesus himself did not live in a democracy. So we have a different kind of a social construct in this nation. How do we look at this? There is not a king that we bow before. There's not an emperor that's there. We are a democracy. And we make our decisions known by voting. I'm not going to get on that hobby horse either, but just believe me, that's part of our Christian duty. As we participate in the government of this land, no matter who it is, cast a vote for the one you think is best able to govern us in the way you believe it should be done. And if someone is elected, whether on a local level or a national level, that you don't like, that you don't agree with, that you think is going to take us to the wrong place, we're still to submit. That's what Scripture is clear about. And before you get really upset about that, let me remind you who was an authority when Peter wrote this. Roman emperors were not nice people. They weren't real friendly to the Christians. And even the Jewish authorities who were actively persecuting the church were not nice people. And yet Peter is saying, I know this, this is the world we live in, and God's word is 
submit to these authorities after submitting to Christ first. Now, hopefully, some of you are saying, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Aren't there some exceptions? Something about that just doesn't ring quite true. Well, yes, there are exceptions, but they are rare. We're coming to see it begin to happen in our own nation. When you are required to disobey Jesus Christ, you cannot submit to the authority because you're submitting to Christ first. You have to always keep that in mind. Now, it doesn't give you and me license to say, well, because I'm a Christian, I believe that this is the best system we should have, and therefore I'm going to do that. I'm not going to submit to the authority. That's not it. It's when you and I are told you may not share your faith in Jesus Christ as the apostles were told and were beaten and then sent out and they went right back to preaching the truth about Jesus Christ. When you and I are commanded we are to do something that is immoral, at that point we say, no, I will not submit to that because my authority is Jesus Christ and his word and he says that is wrong. And when you do that, you have to be willing to suffer the consequences. We are not exempt from punishment if we disobey, even if it's for those reasons. It's not a place for us to think, oh, woe is me. Oh, this is terrible. How can this possibly happen? Jesus says over and over to his disciples, the way they've treated me, they're going to treat you. Don't be surprised about it. And goodness knows, if you've been keeping up with anything that's going on in the worldwide Christian church, you know we are the exception because we are not physically persecuted for our faith in this country. In China, it's starting all over again. Asia is growing with Christians. You've got to realize this. When you and I get to heaven, we're going to be the minority. There are millions and millions of Asian Christians in China, Southeast Asia, they are going to be in heaven with us too. But right now, they are suffering great persecution. Africa, my goodness, look at the church there. Yes, if you must, because Christ says this is not to be done, then you make that choice and you're willing to pay the price. Now, I want to come down to husbands and wives because Peter pulls this out as a particular incident of what he's trying to describe and teach. And it's not just Peter. Paul has written about this in Ephesians and in Colossians as well. And all three passages agree very well with one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Recognize their authority. There is no way around that. I know this is difficult, and I know it's been misused. And this is not a verification for a man to mistreat his wife in a physical or an emotional way. But it is addressed to the woman who has submitted herself completely to Jesus Christ first. He's the number one man in her life. And then she's submitting herself to her husband's authority because they are married and her husband and wife. And Peter goes on to describe why that makes a difference in terms of relationships, even with an unbelieving husband 
and also in terms of what is beautiful before God. God is not interested in the color of your hair. He is not interested in the jewelry that you might wear. He is not interested in the clothes that you have or you don't have. God is looking for a heart that loves him. A quiet and gentle spirit that doesn't rule out an active personality. But it means it is a soul that is at calm and at peace with itself because it knows it is loved by Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to this, men. And also, wives, that you are loved by your husbands. Now, Paul elaborates on that. If you're going to love your wife, you need to treat them as you would treat yourself. And God does not give men a free pass on this. In this passage in Peter, the way he describes it is for husbands to be considerate as you live with your wives. Paul gives it even more teeth in saying, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. So men, as a husband, your job is to love your wife so well that she wants to be under your authority. She wants to be protected by you. She wants to have respect for you because of the way you love Christ and the way you treat her. In Colossians, where Paul is writing about this, no, it's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Before you get to wives, submit to your husbands, he has this to say. Be submissive to one another. It's not a matter of being a cruel dictator, but it means a couple living together, working together, praying together, making decisions together, and the husband is the head of the household. He is the one that the wife submits to, but he is also the one who is loving her as Christ loved the church, protecting her as Christ protects us. Now women, I know those of you who are married are probably thinking, well, that's, we got the tough job. No. The men have the tough job to love you as Christ loves the church. It takes a lot of work because we're all very selfish people. Mutual respect and honor. Mutual submission to one another, though there is an authority structure set up in Scripture. And the beautiful thing I have discovered about standing up for your rights as Christians, that's not really taught in Scripture. We have rights. We have incredible rights because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have rights as citizens of this country. But as Christians, the way that works is, I will stand up for you when you are being ill-treated, and you will stand up for me when I'm being ill-treated, so we don't have to demand our own way. Look at me. I demand to have my rights. No. But get up and say, look what you're doing to him. That is not fair. I demand you stop doing it. You stand up for the body of Christ. <laughs> Last week I told you we're weird, and we are, buddy. Believe me. If we're going to live this kind of life in this culture, non-Christians will not be able to understand it. But it will draw them it will draw them because they see how good it is. Well, in all of this talk of submission, 
how do you fight back if you're mistreated by the authority? How do you fight back? First of all, remember who you are. No one can take your dignity away from you no matter how they mistreat you or how unjust they may be to you. You are a child of God. That's who you are. In chapter 2, we looked at the different things. We are chosen by God. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Nobody can take that away from you, no matter what they do. No matter if they try to make you think you're worthless, they cannot because you are secure in Christ. So remember who you are with that dignity and self-respect and comes in knowing Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's the support of other Christians. Of what I just described, standing up for one another when something is not right. Coming together as a body, and if you can't change it, at least support the offended person. Let them know they're not alone. Satan's greatest tool is to isolate. Do not do it. Run to the church. Run to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And there find the strength to bear up under the unjust situation. With all the different areas that these passages could go off into, the overall stress is that we're to submit to Jesus Christ and to be his servants in the relationships that we have within our families and within our world. And all of the New Testament describes so clearly Jesus Christ died for us so that we could be free from our sins and we are freed from our sins not to do what we want to do, but to serve others, to serve Christ. So actually, Christ has freed us so that we can submit and conquer. Sounds crazy, but it's true. By that spirit, evidenced to the authorities, people will shake their heads and say, what is this? And you will earn respect by the way you live just as Jesus Christ did. I'm going to read two verses back in chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. How did Jesus do this? Verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And just like last week, I'll tell you again, you and I cannot do this in our own strength in our own power. We cannot decide, I will be submissive. I will honor authority. I will respect all people. We don't have it in us. We can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit in submitting to Jesus Christ first and daily seeking to know Him better 
then we have the power to really impress the world that's watching us because we are different. We are little Christs, and we're weird. We live life by different rules, but it is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, there's so many ways this can be misunderstood. Help us to have a clear view of your truth, submitting ourselves not only to Christ, but to your word, that it can be rightly understood and interpreted and applied. Father, give us courage and wisdom to make the tough decisions of when to say yes and when to say no, of how to love how to serve, how to submit. We cannot do it without your help. Father, come help us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.